Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Expeditors podcast, where we look at the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today's topic, anti-dumping and countervailing duties. We'll be discussing the difference between the two, how cases are resolved and acted upon, and how these two forms of duties are being used to protect economies and industries. We'll also learn why it's important now more than ever for you to be aware of them. And returning to talk about this is Regional Customs Manager for the Americas, Stephanie Holloway. Stephanie, welcome back. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, how have you been? Last we talked was about HTS codes. There was a big deadline that was being met. How did all that go? It went down in flames. No, it went spectacularly, <laughs> just as you would um, imagine. So yeah. those got implemented at the end of January. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, the common hiccups along the way, but we are happy to be over that hurdle and on for the next supply chain challenge. Absolutely. And this is definitely one of them. It sounds like I heard that you had been doing a series of webinars lately talking about this particular topic. Um, what was the impetus for all that? So last year, we took a deep dive looking at our processes around anti-dumping and countervailing. And Mm -hmm. one of the areas that we saw an opportunity in was to spend more time helping to educate our customers. Mm -hmm. So there are so many new folks coming into our industry, especially with our customer base, Mm -hmm. that we really wanted to spend time investing um, and making sure that they were up to speed on this topic. All right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and get into it. So we're talking about anti-dumping and countervailing duties. Uh, I've heard the two terms being used together, but how are they related to each other? Yes. So they are both trade remedies Mm -hmm. um, that seek to address unfair trade practices. So that was a good sentence, right? Yeah, what do you mean by that? Lots of of, uh, customs lingo in there. Um, So the goal of them is to try to level the playing field. So what happens is there can be imports coming into a country, Mm -hmm. um, usually at unfair prices, And what the country seeks to do is impose additional duties, which Mm -hmm. in this case are anti-dumping and countervailing duties, Mm -hmm. to try to level the playing field. And that will be kind of a theme that I'll keep coming back to is this concept of leveling the playing field Mm -hmm. by adding these additional duties on. Now, anti-dumping and countervailing, they... They're still two different things. What's the difference between both of them? Yeah. So they're two distinct duty types. Okay. Um, They are sometimes used together. But what anti-dumping duties try to do is um, address when goods are being sold at less than fair market value. And countervailing duties are used um, when foreign governments Mm -hmm. are subsidizing goods um, that are then being imported into a country. Okay, so then simple question here. Let's start. You know, I'm I'm a video person. I am not very much deep into the economics <laughs> of anything. Why would a country subsidize certain goods or industries? Yeah, that feels weird, I think, sometimes. <laughs> um, but what I usually will do is think about um, the country that you're in. And mm-hmm. uh, most countries, the governments will subsidize some industry. Sure. So in the U.S., uh, we often will subsidize agriculture. And we have for... I don't know if I would say hundreds of years, but we haven't been a country that long. But we've done it for a really long time. And Mm -hmm. it's because we feel that it's important to make sure that that industry um, stays right and is and um, can continue to make food for us. Mm -hmm. So there's a variety of reasons why a government might subsidize items. So with these duties, how do they get uh, applied? Is it what's the decision process? What's the history of these even? Um, for anti-dumping and countervailing. What a loaded question. <laughs> Tell me everything. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. How long is this podcast? Okay. So I'm going to answer this from a U.S. perspective sure. because that's what I know really well. But of this course. concept of applying anti-dumping and countervailing duties is, is a global concept. It's just not unique to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So with that said, let's kind of dive in to see how a case even gets started. Mm -hmm. So um, a domestic industry um, will identify, hey, we're we're kind of being threatened. Um, imports are coming in. They're selling at a less um, than market value price. We can't compete. Mm -hmm. At that point, they'll file a petition with the U.S. government and two different groups will get involved. So the first one is a division of the Department of Commerce, which is the International Trade Administration, mm -hmm. for short, the ITA. And then the second group is the U.S. International Trade Commission, or the U.S. ITC. Okay. And each of these uh, groups have distinct purposes in this. Okay, you still with me? Yeah. Okay. This legit, you just threw two acronyms at me. I'll try I to keep know. them separate. This is, <laughs> all we do in customs is acronyms. Um, really, this whole industry yeah. is acronyms. It's just hard to know which ones are expediters and which ones are yeah. uh, logistics. <laughs> yeah. So we got these two groups. So mm -hmm. the US ITC, they have one job, and their job is to determine whether or not um, the domestic industry is actually being threatened. Okay. Okay. So not an easy task. Um, and then the ITA has two jobs. The first one is to see if the dumping or subsidizing is actually happening. So that's a lot of research um, and digging into data. And then the second one is if it is happening, what is that duty to offset? So remember mm. that leveling the playing mm -hmm, field? Mm -hmm. That's where that concept is coming in because now they have to determine what amount of duty needs to be done. Right. Okay. So you still with me? Yes, we absolutely. Got the two groups. And now this is where it gets real exciting. Mm -hmm. It kind of becomes this ping pong match back and forth. So they're each making preliminary decisions and then they make uh, final decisions and uh, they're doing their research and they're on very tight timeframes um, because if dumping is happening or subsidizing is happening and the intent is to protect the industry, mm -hmm. we need to get these additional duties in place quickly. Right, before more damage is done. Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, the the ping pong match is going back and forth. And at any time, if one of the the organizations says, hey, actually, I don't see that subsidizing is happening or I don't see that the domestic um, industry is being harmed, mm -hmm. the case is closed. Mm -hmm. OK, and we it just stops right there. Um, but otherwise, it keeps going until we get a resolution. If both parties are saying yes, you know, yes, uh, domestic industry is being hurt. Yes. Um, dumping or subsidizing is happening, then uh, they'll issue an order. And that's where those additional duties um, are going to come into play. Okay. So are you ready for a real fun fact, though? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people think it's not until that ping pong match is over that the additional duties are going to start to be collected. Mm -hmm. They actually start to collect the duties, and by they, I mean customs, mm -hmm. will start to collect duties about halfway through the process. So as soon as both of them give a tentative, like, yes, we believe that's happening, they start to collect duties. So that's kind of a unique thing from an importer's perspective or a broker's perspective, is just to be aware of what cases are happening, um, because even if it's not fully resolved and sent to order, there are duties that will need to be collected fairly early on. Wow. So you need to be ready to account for these duties being asked for even for any firm answer arise. Yeah, before there's any resolution. tentative. Yeah. yeah, it's like a it's called a preliminary decision. But okay. yeah, if both of them are saying preliminarily, yes, it's an affirmative, mm -hmm. then yes, duties will start to get assessed at that point. Yikes. Wow. Yes. Okay. And they okay. can be big numbers, Chris. Yeah. We're not talking like 2% duty. How We're much? talking a lot of times like even, you know, 60, 100% duty. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, it's wild. Wow, no <laughs> um, one, a word that I heard you using was harm. Mm -hmm. um, and harm, when I hear that, I hear malicious intent yes. <laughs> in some ways. Uh, if, if, one, if someone was importing goods with anti-dumping or countervailing duties applied to them, um, are they the... Are they the bad guy? Is there is that is that bad? Yeah, I think that's a really um, 
It's a good, very loaded question. <laughs> um, but what I would say is from a very simple, sure. like I'm just going to put on my very simple hat. No, like you're not a bad person because the whole point of these duties or you're not a bad importer. Mm-hmm. The whole point of these duties is to level that playing field, mm-hmm. right? So it's not so much that it's a penalty. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to protect and control trade, right? And and really protect the U.S. industry or that country's industry. Mm-hmm. Um now I'll put on my slightly more controversial hat and to say, of course, nothing in life is that simple. Sure, right. Right? You can't just add some additional duties on and mm-hmm. say, I'm done. I walk away from this. So the situation is usually more complex um, mm-hmm. than than just a simple yes or no. Um, one thing, though, that I, I would want to point out is, um, you know, if I was in the importer's shoes and I was looking at, you know, do I want to import goods that are subject to anti-dumping or countervailing duties? It's maybe not the moral aspect, like am I good or bad, (laughs) but um, it creates a lot of financial uncertainty. Mm. So first of all, the the additional duties can be a lot, but you can account for those as an importer, Mm -hmm. right? You're like, okay, I get it. Here's my additional cost. I'll I'll add it in and and make sure that everything sorts out. But at least in the U.S., um, if you have an entry that has additional countervailing or anti-dumping duties, um, the your entry stays open longer. So what I mean by that is usually um, entries liquidate. So that's just the fancy way of like, I always say closing the book on them. Mm-hmm. Good analogy, yeah. right? <laughs> of course, it's just like, hey, case closed. We're, we're good. Everyone go their own ways, mm-hmm. right? And that usually is just under a year. So um, that's usually when those that book closes. Mm-hmm. But with anti-dumping and countervailing, that book can stay open for years. Wow. So you're exposing yourself to a lot more time of potential duties or customs researching things um, or the case being modified or other things. So I would say that's more of a consideration from the importer's side Mm -hmm. than, you know, the moral stance on whether or not you should import. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That leaves you vulnerable for a much longer time. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then given that you've been doing a whole series of webinars uh, around this particular topic, Mm -hmm. uh, why are we talking about this now? What has been happening around anti-dumping and countervailing that makes it important for people to understand now? Yeah. So in the very beginning, I said it's a trade remedy, yeah. which is really a, a way to help control trade. And this is, I give so many asterisks and disclaimers in this next <laughs> statement, but it's a relatively easy type of trade remedy for the U.S. government sure. to apply. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying in the scheme of everything, it's relatively easy. Mm-hmm. So it's been a tool that's been used um, much more frequently than what we've seen. And if you look at, you know, just a simple chart, and I know the the um, listeners can't see this, but I'm doing that thing with my yeah, finger yeah. where it's, it's like- It's going up, everybody. It's going straight up, <laughs> straight up. So um, really, if you look at a chart of the number of cases that are, are opened and how many cases are active, it just continues to grow pretty exponentially. Mm. Um, even though this- this trade remedy has been around for a really long time and, right. and can be used. Secondly, Customs keeps a list of priority trade issues mm-hmm. um, that they publish, and it's things that they are passionate about. Might feels a little strong of a word, but essentially their roadmap of what they're looking at and enforcing. Um, anti-dumping and countervailing duties are clearly on that roadmap. So that means importers are getting more letters. They're getting more requests. Customs has resources allocated towards that, um, which just makes everything you know much more spotlighted mm-hmm. um, for the trade community. So then what should importers be taking into consideration when it comes to these duties? Like, What, what kind of um, conversations should they be having either with internally or with their customs brokers in order to you know set themselves up for success? 
Yeah. So I'm going to say the first thing they need to do, which is a very unfun answer, is make sure their goods are classified correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, Because classifications are really the basis of so much in the customs um, world. Um, Customs working with the ITA actually flag potential anti-dumping and countervailing cases against HTS numbers. Uh It's not a one-to-one match. It doesn't mean always it will apply or it will never apply if it's not flagged. Mm -hmm. But that's a great indicator. So if you have a good classification, then someone like expediters can can work with you and help you understand, hey, which potential cases do I have based on my HTS mix? From there, you need to read the scope. So ITA as one of their jobs is to publish a scope in terms of um, which items are subject to anti-dumping duties and which items are not. So I'm going to give a classic anti-dumping case of pencils. Sure. Okay. We all know a pencil. So it seems very straightforward, pencils. But what about colored pencils? What about gigantic, you know, gift <laughs> pencils or, you know, something? So in the case, it you know, it gives the specific length and the width and it needs to be like this. And those are the pencils that are in scope, right? So they have to write very detailed notes in terms of which items they're targeting, mm-hmm. right? And that all comes from their investigative research during that infamous ping pong yeah. uh, match back and forth. Gosh, um, heaven forbid that novelty pencils are at risk. You know, they're not, Chris. <laughs> Good news. Spoiler alert. Novelty pencils are not under the anti-dumping order. Um, buy, <laughs> buy all the novelty pencils yeah. now before they get added in scope. Yeah. Um, so once you understand the scope, then you can say whether or not your items apply. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I mean, you're you're hopefully you have some type of parts database or a way to communicate with your customs broker um, so that they can make sure that that's being properly declared to the government. So um, that's really, uh, uh, importers really need to have a good process in place mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they are properly declaring the duties, the anti-dumping and countervailing duties, if applicable, and have a process in place to review their items to make sure if they're not, you know, even if they don't need the additional duties, that they clearly have a reason why mm-hmm. um, and that they've gone through that due diligence process. So then this scope from the ITA, um, how often does it get updated? Is it a yearly thing? What's the period that we're looking at? Um, both the duty amount and the scope are not necessarily set in stone. So oh. um, they get published, uh, they go to order, and mm-hmm. then there's a regular cadence where um, both the ITA and the US ITC have to re-review these cases. All right, um, back to importers. Um, you said they have to do a, a lot of the not fun stuff. It sounds like a lot of work of making sure that you're classifying everything correctly. Um, what would you say to the importer that says, ah, that's too much work, we'll just pay the duties. Whatever, whatever it is, it's okay. It's not worth the work. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So um, first of all, I'd ask them if they're made of money. No, I would, <laughs> <laughs> I would not do that because there are some cases where the percentage is not that high. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it could be a valid argument, and I've I've definitely heard of that. It before. really depends on the good. It really depends on that the item. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say is you're really just opening yourself up for more risk. So it's not usually to your best advantage to declare things that are not necessary. <laughs> Similar to if you were coming back from a trip, you don't just write down everything you could have bought on the customs <laughs> form. <Right. laughs> I could have walked through soil. Yeah. I could have brought home a banana. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually you try to steer clear of those risk areas mm-hmm. um, just because you, d- you don't need that in your life, right? So um, the other practical um, side of that is if you declare anti-dumping and countervailing duties, there's a direct connection to the cost of your bond. 
So when you import, you have to have a bond. Okay. And um, the cost is generally, you know, in line with how much duty you owe customs. So then as soon as you say, hey, I import anti-dumping countervailing goods, your bond amount now has to increase. So there's an actual cost to your bond amount if you're telling the government that you're importing anti-dumping countervailing goods. Mm -hmm. Not to mention you've exposed yourself to whether this case is closed or open four years, you said it was? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. No. We really just want to do it right the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) Do the work, people. It's very important. (laughs) All right. uh, Before we close, were there any last thoughts um, in the conversations that you've had with folks about anti-dumping? Anything else that um, you want them to walk away with today? Yeah. I would just say, um, because this is such a hot topic, really make sure that you're engaged and you have things in your life that are helping you stay present and informed. Mm. So I'm going to plug our Expeditors Newsflash. We do a monthly recap that shows all the anti-dumping and countervailing cases that um, have moved to a point where we're collecting duties on them. Okay. Okay? So just trying to continue to put the word out um, and making sure that importers know what cases are active and what's out there. Mm -hmm. Another way is customs, um, U.S. customs at least, publishes um, what we call CSMS messages. Um, and they also are trying to blast out and let people know, hey, this case is getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, but there can be a handful of cases starting every month. So it's not a million. Um, and if you're engaged and you're following along with trade associations and things like that that are relevant to your business, most of the time you will hear about them. But making sure that you have that as part of your day-to-day process and that you're paying attention and seeing what's coming is super important. Absolutely, so, yeah. I would say that's my number one thing. Make sure you have something in your life that is going to tell you when new anti-dumping and countervailing cases are Mm -hmm. coming out. Cool. Well, I will be sure to definitely put those links in the show notes. So, folks, if you're interested, uh, you will find those there. Uh, But until then... uh Stephanie, thank you so much for educating me uh, very quickly, honestly, too, about anti-dumping and countervailing. This was so fascinating that uh, this stuff happens behind the scenes that, I mean, me as a regular consumer doesn't even think about. Uh, So it's cool to learn about this. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expeditors, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expeditors.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time.